Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. That wasn't even a word. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everyone. What? (laughs) I am so tired, Sarah. Hi, Rigger. (laughs) I'm speaking in tongues. I'm exhausted. Already. It's early on in the episode for you to be doing that. Well, it's going to be a train wreck <laughs> if the first words out of my mouth were garbage. So, <laughs> um, well, Liz has a, a case of the what is it? You got a s- spicy tendon syndrome? <laughs> spicy tendon syndrome. <laughs> I have tenosynovitis. Tenosynovitis. It's too many syllables. What is that? Uh, the tendon that runs along my thumb into my wrist is nice and inflamed, so I can't type or text or open bottles or cook. You can't open bottles? How are you supposed to recover? It's honestly a fucking disaster. (laughs) Like, I feel like I can't use my right hand. I'm only left-handed right now, and if you know me, my left hand is useless. It's completely useless. Mm-hmm. If I try to brush my teeth with my left hand, I'm probably going to stab myself in the eye. So yeah, that uncoordinated. It's not a good time. No. I've had to dictate everything to my phone and to my iPad. So I don't even know if my notes are correct for this episode. <laughs> like I'm just waiting to be surprised by something stupid. Um, And I also learned dictating, like, how much I can't think on my feet, how stupid I am. (laughs) Because it'll be like, you know, he went outside and something, but walk is a bad word. And did he go outside or did he do something first? And what's the weather, question mark? And that's that's the whole dictation. And it's like, I am a really bad writer and I should stop. Yeah. I do the same thing, the same exact thing, where it's like William Blake w- dictated all his famous works to his sister or whatever the fuck. And I'm like, I literally don't know what's going to come out of my mouth at any given moment. That's why I have to write it down. Yeah, and it has to go through a lot of editing before it resembles pretty English or coherent yeah. English first. That's step one. Yeah. So more power to him, I guess. <laughs> like weird flex, but okay. <laughs> it is a really weird flex to be good at dictating things. I don't know. I hate these intros. I hate them. I'm bad <laughs> at small talk in general. I know. I want to skip but- right over it and get to like, tell me about your childhood trauma. Yeah, I do that with a lot of people. Like, you be like, hi, what's your name? And I'll be like, and this is what happened to me when I was six. And then mm-hmm. they never talk to me ever again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> we, we haven't, I don't think we've gotten there in this, in this show. We haven't unearthed all of our childhood traumas for our listeners. We don't, we don't really get too personal, I don't think. But maybe we'll change that this episode. Maybe we should. Maybe we should start chasing everybody off with all of the enormous problems that we have. If they haven't already been chased off, then 
I think they're uh, they're pretty brave. That's true. All the brutal torture and beheadings and tongues. Speaking uh, of all those things, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a lot of brutal torture in my story today. But before me too. Yay! <laughs> Before we talk about that, we should probably say that I'm Sarah. And I am Liz. I'm a Catholic. I'm a witch. And we're friends. We are friends. And this is our podcast, Saints and Witches, where we tell each other stories about a saint and witch. And there you go. That's the whole show. Yep, that's it. And today we are doing another themed episode instead of geographic. It's a thematic thing and we're gonna talk about werewolves you didn't ask for it but we're giving it to you but we're doing it because i personally can't wait for halloween dude i feel like halloween is like two years away is never gonna be here Mm -hmm. and i just want pumpkins and stupid fucking masks in walmart Yeah. And candy corn that I hate. (laughs) But you're going to eat it anyway. I'm going to make myself eat it. I'm going (laughs) to enjoy this year for so help me God. Yeah. Same. I actually love candy corn, but I like any kind of candy so much that it's a real issue in my life. Even if I don't really love the taste of it, I will eat it until I vomit. (laughs) I'm hungry. Okay, we should start. (laughs) okay episode 13 werewolves this is the spooky spooky episode to like go into a dark room Mm -hmm. close the windows turn out the lights shut those curtains yep freak yourself out light a candle only one only one or 13 So this week I was Googling, like I always do, Catholic saints and blank, insert random word here. And so on a whim, I just threw out Catholic saints and werewolves, not really expecting to find anything, but I did. And I figured that you would also have something to talk about regarding werewolves, as you mentioned a couple episodes ago. Yeah, you could even talk about Catholics and werewolves (laughs) as it comes up. So I I am eager to see what you talk about. Cool. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to go farther back in time than I ever have on this podcast, like I love to do, because then I can make up whatever I want. (laughs) Um. But I'm not going to get into, like, the whole history of the mythology of werewolves. Are you going to do that? Okay, awesome. Perfect. Also, I figured we should mention if people are really interested in werewolves or other monsters, a really good podcast for you to check out would be The Monster Professor with Josh Woods. Um, It's so good. It's really good. Any kind of monster you can think of, he's either done an episode on them or he would do an episode on them if you asked him to. (laughs) It's so well researched. He's Mm -hmm. got a great voice. You will literally not be able to hit pause. It's great. Yeah. And he's also a pretty cool dude. Mm -hmm. 
So what the heck, why are there Catholic saints associated with werewolves? What is going on? There are actually a couple who are like wolf or werewolf adjacent. Um, there's St. Aelb, I think is how you pronounce it. It's probably wrong though, because it's um, Gaelic. <laughs> so <laughs> We just guess when it comes to Gaelic. We don't know. <laughs> I did look that one up and that's how they said, but I don't know if I trust it. I can't trust anything anymore. Um, he was an early Irish saint who, like pre-St. Patrick, who was abandoned as an infant and raised by a she-wolf. There's also St. Natalis, who was a contemporary of St. Columba, who like cursed a rival clan and turned them into werewolves. There's St. Hubert of Liege, we've been to Liege, who um, possessed a magical charm known as St. Hubert's Key that could miraculously cure rabies and other illnesses, and who was frequently invoked for protection against werewolves. But there's only one saint who, according to certain ancient and medieval sources, actually had the head of a dog, and that's St. Christopher. Dude, yes. Go on. I am here for this. (laughs) Okay. So he's not a werewolf in the sense of like full man who turns into full wolf. Um, But in some stories, he is a man-dog hybrid, also known as a cynocephalus. The reason for this is complicated, and some people dismiss it very simply as a bad translation. Simply a mistaking of the Latin term for Canaanite to read canine (laughs) (laughs) smudged writing we couldn't figure it out read smudge writing on here (laughs) wolf man (laughs) (laughs) definitely what it was it could be nothing else right but so some people are like oh he was never a man dog hybrid because that that was a mistranslation like that's it But it's more complicated than that, or at least I'm going to make it more complicated than that. That's why we love you, Sarah. Well, because otherwise I wouldn't have a story. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is more complicated. So many, many ancient cultures have stories about a man or a race of men or even a god with the head of a dog. There's the Egyptian god Anubis, who has the head of a jackal. Um, In the mythology of the Shetland Islands, there's something called the wolver that has the body of a man and the head of a wolf. He's quiet and reclusive, and he may even leave a fish on your windowsill if he likes you, which we should all start doing that for our crushes. The paragraph that you see on like a dog adoption website. (laughs) Leave a fish on your window, so I'd adopt him. I would too. That is handy. So, cynocephali are mentioned in Greek and Roman writings all the way back to the 8th century BC. Hesiod mentions them in his epics, the historian Herodotus mentions them in the 5th century BC, the historian Theseus, which is not what you would how you would think that was pronounced because <laughs> it starts with a c <laughs> ah yeah it's fun Theseus. um he mentions them in his fourth century bc book indica which is all about weed <laughs> just kidding 
<laughs> no. Now I'm going to be disappointed when I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, this isn't Snoop Dogg's Kitchen or whatever it's called. No, Indica, which is presented as a factual account of his travels throughout India. He says in that book, quote, on the Indian mountains, there live men with the head of a dog whose clothing is the skin of wild beasts. They speak no language, but bark like dogs, and in this manner make themselves understood by each other. Their teeth are larger than those of dogs. Their nails like those of these animals, but longer and rounder. They inhabit the mountains as far as the river Indus. Their complexion is swarthy. They are extremely just, like the rest of the Indians with whom they associate. They understand the Indian language, but are unable to converse, only barking or making signs with their hands and fingers by way of reply, like the deaf and dumb. In a second century text by the satirist Lucian, the author basically calls all of these previous ancient Greek and Roman writers complete liars and says that there's a special place in hell for them for inventing (laughs) these crazy tales. (laughs) So um, he didn't really... uh, get the magic of the 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 doghead people i guess a lot of modern people would probably agree that these stories are just stories they're complete inventions by people of the time theseus and herodotus probably didn't see half men half dogs in india they're liars who just wanted people to read their work that's that case closed but That doesn't answer the deeper question of why people at the time listened to them and believed them. It doesn't get at the interesting heart of these legends, which is what were people in ancient Greece and Rome and later medieval Europe too, so afraid of that they would believe anything anyone told them about people and customs in India or Africa? We see stories like these all the way through the Middle Ages, like I said, including Marco Polo's accounts of his travels to the Far East. So in that 13th century book, um, speaking of India and the surrounding islands, he says, the people are without a king and are idolaters and no better than wild beasts. And I assure you, all the men of this island have heads like dogs and teeth and eyes likewise. They have a quantity of spices, but they are a most cruel generation and eat everybody that they can catch, if not of their own race. So again, this is anxiety Not about one's own people, but about those people over there. (laughs) The scary, (laughs) the scary bad people. (laughs) (sighs) Analyses of all kinds of medieval travel narratives from Marco Polo to John Mandeville, etc. All point to this idea that the medieval Western world was seen as the known Christian rational world. Then just outside the Western world was the barbaric outer world where people people were still human and could be interacted with, if not quote-unquote civilized Christians. And finally, there was the fantastic other world where creatures were not fully human and pretty much anything could happen. So lots of anxiety about traveling, which we'll talk more about later. So St. Christopher. 
He is a figure who has existed in our cultural consciousness for centuries, from ancient times all the way up to the present day, and he has been a controversial figure the entire time, so much so that Pope Paul VI actually removed his feast day from the liturgical calendar in 1969. He still recognizes a saint, but maybe demoted a little. (laughs) Can you unmake somebody a saint? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can, which is a bummer, but also probably necessary because um, some popes were not the greatest and some popes just canonized their friends for fun. (laughs) So could a pope like unmake somebody a saint and then the pope after them make them a saint again? Probably. Can you imagine if it just went back and forth and back (laughs) and forth? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there's like restrictions about if you've been, I don't even know the word. I'm sure there's a word for it. Like unmaking a saint. I'm sure there is. There's it's a like word four for square when you're a kid, and, you know, there's, you can only do it so many times. I, when you said four square, I went <laughs> on such a journey <laughs> and I remembered <laughs> the smell of those plastic balls do you know what I'm talking about and like oh my god yeah you remember like no double taps and all kinds of stuff like that you can only do things so many times Mm -hmm. god I hated all the rules in that game yeah it when you had a good group of four people though it was fun you got into that game or I did (laughs) me the thing that always happened to me is I would get in that the top square and mm-hmm. I would be up against a bunch of dudes who really wanted that square <laughs> and they would just massacre me to make me leave and it's like I don't want to play this game anymore yeah yeah dudes ruin everything like middle school dudes ruin everything full offense full offense 100 <laughs> percent. y'all smell terrible <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are when we would play Foursquare, it would be, so I had like four close friends from like middle school and high school, whatever, but mostly middle school we would play. And it was like, so there was five of us. So one person would be out like at all times. And it was just like so much fun because you didn't want to be that person. And we got so competitive. <laughs> uh, those were the days. You could ruin friendships with that game. Truly. I can ruin friendships with any game, which is something that I take great pride in. <laughs> oh, God. What was I even talking about? Why are we talking about Foursquare? <laughs> we were talking about uh, his feast day being taken away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, how I made that about Foursquare's. <laughs> Nobody knows. I'm trying to remember the connection and I can't. I do, um, but you really have to go on a journey with me, Sarah. Okay. No, I'm there. I'm there. I was there on the blacktop. I, I smelled the asphalt. Uh, okay, he was demoted. So he most likely lived in the third century. Um, every version of his legend calls him a Canaanite, but the term Canaanite is not specific at all. It's the most frequently used term in the Bible, ethnic term, I mean. and um, It doesn't really tell you anything about specific ethnicity or location. So if we say that the term Canaanite refers to the geographic location he's from, 
then that's probably somewhere in the Levant region, which is like the Eastern Mediterranean region of Western Asia. <laughs> so like modern day Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, etc. Although, okay, yeah, although... <laughs> when when I read that and it was like Eastern Mediterranean region of Western Asia, I was like, "It's like where's Asia?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what? anything. I don't know shit about fuck. <laughs> Just throw a fucking dart, see where it lands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the Bible, Canaan is only the land west of the Jordan River. So relatively narrow strip of land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. But there's more significance to the land of Canaan or the term Canaanite than just geography. It has other connotations. So the first reference to Canaan in the Bible is in Genesis. And Canaan is a person, the son of Ham, who is one of the sons of Noah. Do you know what story I'm about to tell? No, but I know. Okay, Ham. good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I, I don't know why of all people I remember his name, but it stuck with me. No, so. that I think that is wise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 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 okay, so he's the son of Ham, who is one of the sons of Noah. So after the flood, after Noah and his family and all the animals come to shore, Noah builds a vineyard because he is living his best life <laughs> and then he gets drunk when the grapes grow I assume as you do and he passes out naked so this is starting at Genesis chapter 9 verse 22 <clears throat> Ham the father of Canaan saw his father saw his father's nakedness and he told his two brothers outside Shem and Japheth, however, took a robe, and holding it on their shoulders, they walked backward and covered their father's nakedness. Since their faces were turned the other way, they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke up from his wine and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. So, this is the curse of Canaan, also kind of the curse of Ham. It's intertwined. So, the literal translation of Ham saw his father's nakedness has been debated for 2000 years. It's still being debated today because how could just accidentally seeing your dad naked make him curse you and all of your descendants until the rest of time? So some scholars interpret the original transla translation of that to be that Ham actually sodomizes his father and or castrates him. Well, that's kind of a, uh, ah! a dick move. <laughs> I, uh, I got so excited for you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I always say the exact wrong thing? That was the exact right thing. What do you mean? It is a dick move. I have a, a special skill of inserting my foot directly into my mouth at all times. Mm -hmm. So Either... it's a literal dick move. <laughs> a literal dick move. Any way that you interpret it, it's a literal dick move. <laughs> <laughs> I like that as a title, a literal dick move. Um, it's good. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, other scholars think it is a literal translation that all he did was look at him because in that culture, even just that would have been like a pretty grave sin. 
we don't really know, which is my favorite thing to say. <laughs> we don't know. don't know. Could you imagine, though, like your dad gets wasted and passes out naked in the yard and then it's your fault? It's like somehow what your the fault. fuck, sir? <laughs> Excuse <laughs> Get me, Get your sir. life together. <laughs> Get your life together, Noah. <laughs> Um, in the ancient Jewish book of Jubilees, when Ham's sons are splitting up to go claim the land that um, their father has set aside for them, Canaan disobeys him and settles in the land meant for his uncle and his cousins. It says, um, um, in Ham, his father, and Cush and Mizraim, his brothers, said to him, Thou hast settled in a land which is not thine and which did not fall to us by lot. Um, blah, 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 blah. Cursed art thou and cursed shalt thou be beyond all the sons of Noah. Uh, so he he took land that didn't belong to him. Like he's doing all the wrong things. <laughs> I I would also take things that don't belong to me after that. So I I would be a petty bitch about everything. If you accidentally, like, if your dad accidentally saw your grandpa naked and then you had to be cursed forever. Yeah, I would just start taking things. <laughs> like, yeah. fuck this family. It's all yeah. mine. Why not? Yeah, I would be mad too, yeah. In the Book of Wisdom, also known as the Wisdom of Solomon, it's written, quote, the ancient inhabitants of thy holy land. So back then, Canaan, before it was the holy land were hateful to thee for their loathsome practices, ruthless murders of children, cannibal feasts of human flesh and blood. So that's a little update on where Canaan's at <laughs> sometime <laughs> later. <laughs> Some people have said that the word cannibal is actually a contraction of Canaan and Baal. Um, and Baal was the pagan god that the Canaanites worshipped. That would be a nice, neat etymology of the word cannibal, but it's not true. <sighs> Regardless of the origin of the word, the Canaanites were seen by the Israelites, um, God's chosen people, as flesh-eating, child-sacrificing devil worshippers. And this combined with the curse of Canaan that made this, the descendants of Ham the slaves of Noah's other descendants justified their attempted extermination in the book of Joshua. So I said I would talk Wait, about St. Christopher and I'm just way off topic. Yeah, so... That's okay. I'm just fascinated learning the Bible. It's making me mad, but go on. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament is such a complete and total shit show. It's so good, though. It's like... The worst. I need this as a show because it's just full of so much drama. I think it is literally a show called The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> is it super dramatized? Yeah, I haven't watched it, but it got like amazing reviews. Okay, I, I need something really sensational and dramatized or I get really bored, which is why I'm learning The Bible on TikTok because that's my attention span. <laughs> <laughs> um we should watch it together we should do like um we'll like do a like like watch party yeah and whatever we'll do, something yeah we'll do updates on the podcast of like where we're yes. at let's do that okay let's we'll talk about learn it. learn <laughs> the bible yeah i need to learn it too shit 
Um, so back to St. Christopher, the man who will later be known as St. Christopher is born a pagan Canaanite man named Reprobus, meaning false or rejected. <laughs> what a shitty name to give your kid. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there and there are no explanations for like why that's his name. So you just have a kid and it's like false. <laughs> the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> The one we don't want. It's like, Christ, oh my God. Yeah, they don't say, no one says anything about where his name comes from. Maybe it's a reference to, like, his parents' rejection of him. Not clear. He was said to be five cubits tall, or seven and a half feet. So he's a big, tall guy. According to the Old English Martyrology, which is the Anglo-Saxon version of St. Christopher's story, he, quote, had the head of a dog, his locks were exceedingly thick, his eyes shone as brightly as the morning star, and his teeth were as sharp as a boar's tusk. I wish people still wrote like that. Mm -hmm. So the legend begins with Reprobus entering the Greek city of Samos, Quote, from the nation where men have the head of a dog and from the country where men eat each other. So if he's not a cannibal himself, he at least lives among cannibals, apparently. So kind of a monster. But then the next description we get of him says that, quote, in his heart, he believed in God, but he could not speak like a man. So this is interesting because this means he actually is a rational being prior to his conversion. It's kind of radical because in medieval theory, the human head would be like the seat of reason, whereas the monstrous head would be uncivilized, not rational. And so a lot of what I'm going to talk about is from a scholarly article called St. Christopher's Canine Hybrid Body and Its Cultural Autocannibalism by Jenny Friedrich. Um, it's a really, really good article. A lot of it went way over my head, <laughs> but I think I understood the main points. <laughs> The chronology where he believes in God before he's uh, before he can speak complicates the idea that monstrous creatures aren't rational creatures, and that would have been really scary to medieval people. That idea, because around the seventh or eighth century, a book called the Liber Monstrorum or the Book of Monsters was published, and that was a famous Anglo-Saxon bestiary. And it said that cynocephali can only communicate by barking, and this lack of human speech is proof that they are monstrous. So, reprobus believing in God before he's capable of speech—it seems like a small detail, but it's it's pretty revolutionary. Anyway, so there are lots of different versions of Saint Christopher's story, but they all follow the same basic arc. Some versions leave different things out, so I'm going to combine them all. <laughs> so Reprobus, this dog-headed man, has this desire to find the greatest king. He wants to serve the greatest king. So he goes around looking for him. He finds, like, the king of the land, but then he realizes that the king is afraid of the devil. So then he hangs out with the devil for a while. <laughs> Like, literally? Yeah. <laughs> he just, like, goes around with the devil, just, like, traveling around for a little bit. Just meet up for brunch mm -hmm. or... Yep. They're just buddies. They are, yeah. But then he realizes that the devil is afraid of Christ. So he's like, okay, this Christ guy, 
he must be the greatest king. So I'm going to go serve him. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, how do I do that? And he goes around asking people, which I don't know how, because he's, he can't talk yet, but he just barks at everyone (laughs) really loud. (laughs) Is it Jesus, buddy? Is that who you want? (laughs) (laughs) Did you say Jesus, buddy? Good boy. (laughs) (sighs) So he asks, a hermit where can i how can i serve christ and the hermit tells him you're a big strong tall boy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what am i talking about Okay, no, this is serious. No, it's not. <sighs> no, it's not really. He's like, what? <laughs> okay, there's this river over there that people can't get across. They keep drowning. So it would be great if you could carry travelers across on your back. Jesus would love that. That would be a great way for you to serve him. So he goes, okay, I'll do it. And that becomes his job for a while. It'd be One really day. weird to go to the river, though, and just the man with the dog head is <laughs> gonna help you get across. Be like, I don't really have to go across <laughs> the river that bad. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It would be a cool selfie opportunity. True, I do it. Um, so he's doing that. One day, there's a little kid who wants to cross the river. No big deal. He gets on his shoulders, and they start to cross. And this kid starts getting like heavier and heavier as they go until Reprobus is really struggling to stay afloat. It's taking all his strength. They finally get across and Reprobus is like, what the fuck, dude? Like, we could have drowned. Why are you so heavy? Why are you trying to kill me? And the kid was like, hi, I'm Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And my life is kind of (laughs) crazy. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> and the reason I was so heavy is because I was carrying the sins of the entire world. Goodbye. Um, yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's like, what the hell, dude? You almost killed me. He says, um, as he's sort of before he vanishes, he's like, oh, if you want to be baptized, just pray about it. Goodbye. Um, and he's gone. So Reprobus prays, quote, with his whole heart, and behold, a cloud descended from the heavens and began to shine on him, etc., etc. So he is baptized, and now he can speak, finally. And God gives him the name Christopher, which means Christ-bearer, since he carried Christ across the river. Some versions of the story say that he is now fully human, like no more dog head. But that doesn't end up aligning with what happens later on in other versions of the story. So, I don't know. But let's say he still has a dog head so that we can see how that plays out later. <laughs> so he can speak, but he has a dog head. That's, this is my version of the St. Christopher story. This is Sarah's fan fiction of how the rest <laughs> of the story plays out. <laughs> Every episode is my fan fiction. A St. Christopher fanfic. I would actually really like that. 
<clears throat> it's so niche. <laughs> it is really niche. <laughs> it's my niche. So he goes around telling his story to people, going from city to city, freaking everybody out, I'm sure. And at this time in the third century, the area was under the control of the Roman emperor Decius. And he had issued this proclamation that everyone had to prove their loyalty to the Roman religion by offering sacrifices to the Roman gods. Jewish people, interestingly, were exempt from this because their religion was like official and recognized by the Roman Empire. But um, Christians, their religion wasn't official yet. So the Christians who didn't follow this proclamation were being executed. And this was the first time that Christians had to choose between following their religion and following the law. And this is later known as the Decian persecution. So Decius hears about this weird doghead Christian guy named Christopher and orders his soldiers to arrest him. They go to arrest him, and they're terrified of him because of his general <laughs> terrifyingness. <laughs> and Christopher's like, hi, guys, what's up? You look hungry. And he multiplies all their food, like loaves and fishes kind of thing. Um, and I guess these soldiers weren't super happy with the emperor. They were underpaid, underfed, overworked. And so now they don't want to arrest Christopher because they like him now. And he converts them and baptizes them. And they're like, okay, never mind. We're not going to arrest you. You're cool. And he's like, no, I'll come back with you. I'd like to meet this emperor guy. <laughs> so they take him there. And like every version of the story that includes this section says that Decius falls off his throne when he sees him because he's so scared of him, which is like a funny image. Because how do you fall out of your throne? Like it's meant to like hold you <laughs> in. It's so big. How did he go like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> was he sitting in it stupid to begin with? Like what, was, what the fuck's going on? He was doing that cool like bad boy lounge thing like that. And then he, he like, fucking fell off. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Dipshit. Dipshit. So he says, um, I heard you're a Christian. We don't like we don't like those here. Um, so you have to make a sacrifice to one of these statues surrounding me, or I will kill you. And Christopher's like, no. And he gets tortured in a different horrendous way each time he says no so the first time he gets tortured the text said that the king quote ordered that he be hung up and torn with hooks so that's that's fun and they do this until his ribs quote had been laid bare when that doesn't work decius hires two prostitutes to come seduce him and get him to make a sacrifice that way and these two women's names are aquilina i know how to pronounce that one the one I don't know how to pronounce is Galanese. I couldn't Sounds right to me. I couldn't find any pronunciation guide at all for Galanese. So, but I love that they actually have names. They could have really easily have just been the two prostitutes, but I'm glad they have names. And so they visit Christopher in his cell, but 
But they don't try to seduce him or anything because they're like, I imagine up against the bars of the cell, like, what the fuck is that fucking thing? And I mean, like, his ribs are like fucking showing. It's all yeah. flayed open. Like, why the fuck did you bring us here? It's not a sexy situation. <laughs> they want their money back. Yeah. And he's it's the like- worst party they've ever been hired for. <laughs> they're like, are we a joke to you? well they think it's their punishment for like the crime of like being prostitutes so they don't understand the situation at all (laughs) are we supposed to be prostitutes in this situation or not (laughs) right right exactly and so christopher's like what do you guys want and um they're like, we're so sorry. We're we're sinners. Don't eat us. <laughs> and Christopher's like, what really? What sins have you committed? Which is like adorable. <laughs> They're like naked. And he's like, What what do you mean? Are you did you murder somebody? Did you are you thieves? <laughs> what could like, it possibly be? <laughs> They're like, who is this guy? Um so they tell him, like, uh, clearly we're we're prostitutes. And so he is like, well, if you want to, like, um, like I can baptize you and then it'll be like, everything's good. And they're like, sounds great. Please don't eat us again. Um, so he baptizes them. And when the jailer shows up, he's like, okay, ladies, how'd it go? Did you get him to make a sacrifice? And they're like, we're Christians now and we love it. <laughs> <laughs> So the jailer accuses Christopher of being a magician, of like putting them under a spell. And so one of the women, Galanese, is like, we're not under a spell. We did this of our own accord. Don't worry about it. So she's brought before Decius. And when he hears that his plans went shockingly wrong, he calls for like, I think like the royal carpenter or whatever. I don't know. And basically orders like a two by four to be driven through her breasts, which I don't know if it's this way or this way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know for sure. Ow. Yeah. Ow. Either way. Ow. Um, And that she be suspended by her hair and have two millstones hung from her feet. So I think she's nailed to the wall gonna rip her fucking scalp off yeah so the text says quote her ribs were torn apart by the weight and the flesh and skin of her neck split so that she no longer seemed human again this obsession with what's human what's not human Mm -hmm. of god making something monstrous into something human and of Decius making something human into something monstrous. I think that is fucking cool. I would love to take that and use it in a story. Do it. That is cool. Do it. Fucking do it. No one can stop me. No, nobody. Except me if I do it first. My, <gasps> fan, my fanfic. <laughs> no, it's okay. You can have it. So Christopher is watching this whole thing. And as she dies, he tells her, your journey has been completed. Your prayer accepted. Go to the Lord and remember me. And she dies. Then Decius summons the other woman, Aquilina, and tells her, you know, look what happened to your friend. 
that will be you if you don't make a sacrifice to Jupiter or Apollo right now because, yeah, one of the statues around. So Aquilina goes over to the statue of Jupiter and is like, hey, Jupiter, if you're really a god, speak to me. And she's being like super blasphemous in the eyes of like the emperor and everybody who believes in the the Roman pantheon. And she actually ends up tearing down a bunch of the statues. Like she goes berserk. Um, And when the statues are destroyed, she says, quote, call the doctors and let them cure your gods, which is like such an amazing quote. And I could see that in like, a scene in like a Netflix series or something. Like she's like covered in sweat. She's like, call the doctors. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. So this does not go over well. (laughs) Nah. Shockingly. So Decius calls for an all, A-W-L, which that's one of those words where I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that is. And then when like asked to explain what it is, I'm like, mm. it's like a, so it's like a little tool for stitching. Like it looks like a little, a sharp little baby screwdriver that could fit in your hand. But so imagine that, except the blade is like six feet long. We're not going to a mm. good place. No, we're not. No. So he orders this to be pierced through her heel And pushed all the way through her body until it pokes out of her shoulder. Dude, somebody needs to get this man therapy. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to talk to someone. (laughs) Yeah, he really does. Um, So, yeah, that happens. And she is hung up like that. And they attach millstones to her feet and around her neck. I guess they were just like, they had so many millstones, they didn't know what to do with them. Just like all the millstones they could find. And Aquilina says to Christopher, like, please pray for me. And so he prays as this is happening, like, don't let her suffer too long. And so basically, immediately after that, she dies. So at least she doesn't suffer very long. And they burn the bodies of both women. At this point, Decius orders those original soldiers who brought Christopher into the palace to grab him or whatever. And they're like, nah, (laughs) he baptized us and we're Christians too. And so Decius is like, let's talk in private. And he's like, what do you guys need? You want more money? Fine. I know I haven't been paying you enough. You want more vacation days? You want a new car? Like what? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Fine. You can have it. Or what did they, a chariot? I don't know. It was um, definitely like a Porsche. Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> you could win a new car. And it's like spinning on the platforms. Like, how did you get that in here? Torture is also on there, though. So, like, spin <laughs> carefully. <laughs> yeah, so he offers them all this stuff. And they're like, no, we we don't like you anymore, dude. Like, you're clearly unstable. And he cuts off their heads. And so to Gotta Christopher... Gotta right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is a fair point. Um. Yes. And so to Christopher, he's like... Well, what now? Are you going to make a sacrifice now? And Christopher says, you will not prevail over me, even if you were to inflict several times as much upon me. So he kind of takes that as a challenge. (laughs) 
He orders a bronze bench to be placed in the middle of the city, and he nails Christopher to the bench. And he builds a fire around him and covers all these sticks in pitch and lights it all on fire. The fire actually spreads and kills a ton of bystanders and burns down a shit ton of houses. And when it finally dies out, the Christians in town sort of secretly sneak over to the bench because they want to collect um, Christopher's relics. And when they get there, Christopher stands up on the bench. I imagine he's like rather crusty, but he, um, he stands up and he starts preaching to them. And in the story, it's like 10,000 people that listen to him and they're converted because like, how is this dude even alive? And they remain there all night and like into the morning. And when the people refuse to make the usual sacrifices in the morning, Decius apparently starts to go like a bit berserk. And according to the story, he just like threw himself on these people and quote, fell upon them like the wolf attacks a flock when the shepherd is away. So the dog-headed man is not the wolf. The full human is the wolf. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that at like, I don't know, 1 a.m. And in my head, you're like, like, this is the most profound thing (laughs) I've ever put on the page. Yes, exactly. Um, So Decius has this giant furnace made and he just starts burning all these new christians just like throwing heaps of them into the fire just one after the next and christopher prays that these people will be saved and then for the rest of the day these earthquakes like continuous earthquakes just destroy the furnace like bit by bit until it's completely demolished so the emperor's like hmm And he thinks of a new fun way to try and kill this guy, which is probably the most ridiculous so far. He gets this like giant boulder and (laughs) it's, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's really horrific. It's not funny. It's like nervous laughter. And he, so he, a giant boulder, he drills a hole through it and he threads Christopher's hair through the hole And then he just rolls the boulder, like, down a hill. So it's like... (laughs) Just continuously crushing him, but he still doesn't die. (laughs) So I imagine him as, like... I mean, this is, like, Looney Tunes level. (laughs) I imagine just this, like, crusty, like, wily coyote has been, like, set on fire and, like crushed it just looks terrible but somehow still alive so then decius orders him to be beheaded which why didn't you just fucking do that in the first place i I don't know so i'll just read the last paragraph of the story instead of summarizing it because it's cool and um christians or anyone who knows the story of like the passion of the christ will recognize certain elements in a way that i think is cool so When the sentence had been received, they left the palace. St. Christopher began to sing psalms, praying thus, You have saved us from those afflicting us, and you have thrown into confusion those who hated us. And he turned to the soldiers and said, Wait a little for me that I may pray. And he spoke, O Lord my God, pay the king back in accordance with the way in which he has treated me. 
Upon saying these things, he went off to the place which had been prepared. And again, he said to the soldiers, wait for me a little while that I may pray a second time. And stretching out his hands to the sky, he prayed, God, heed my humility and deign to reveal to me the way of perfection that I might rejoice in your glory, Lord. And behold, there was a great earthquake with the result that the crowd present were killed. Just people dying like left and right. Sorry. That's not part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely in there. Behold, the heavens opened and St. Christopher saw the Lord coming to him in a great chorus of the just and four angels in a sky of sevenfold splendor. A throne was placed, the Lord sat down, and many were astonished to see the glory which had appeared. Thus, blessed Christopher, when he saw this glory, humbled himself at the feet of the Lord and said, How in word or thought will I praise you, Lord, that you have deigned to reveal your glory to me, your humble servant? The Lord said to him, you are more blessed than many and will be called my most beloved servant and blessed will those souls be who have merited possession of your relics. I shall no, I shall heed no longer the sins of those who have approached me through your intercession. I swear by my glory to you that they shall attain paradise. St. Christopher replied, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord my God, grant me the confidence to speak to you. The Lord responded, say what you will. The saint replied, saying, Lord, grant my corpse this second favor, that all who possess a part of my relics will merit such grace that no evil spirit nor bodily sickness will cower them and drive from them every evil desire. Lord my God, whether it be a city, larger area, or small locality where lies some of my relics, let not hail shower, crop disease, or vine sterility prevail there. But wherever my relics travel, if those regions have been harmed, Grant them the grace of my presence, as it were, so that all the inhabitants of those regions may richly receive the produce of their cultivation, and filled with your grace, wholeheartedly glorify your holy name. And the Lord replied, it will be as you request. I will not cause you sadness. And so you have come, ascend to your brothers, for they all wonder at you, and my army of angels desires to see you. And then his head gets cut off, basically. So it's not known for sure what happened to most of St. Christopher's relics, but his skull somehow ended up in the city of Rab in Croatia. And in 1075, when the city was under siege by the Normans, the people of Rab brought the skull out to the city walls and sort of like held it up there, I guess. I mean, they did like a, like a ceremony or whatever. Um, and the Normans left and the city was saved. In later years, prayers to St. Christopher also apparently saved the town from conquest by the Hungarians. (laughs) So it seems like a nifty skull to have around. Um, St. Christopher is the patron saint of many, many things, but his most well-known patronage is travelers, which makes sense since he came from the faraway land of Canaan and he helped people cross that river. And again, that ties back in with all the anxieties medieval people felt about travel. And that article I mentioned earlier does a really good job of talking about how travel was viewed back then as an experience where by your physical body going from the known world into the unknown one, there was a real possibility that you could lose part of yourself or even be like physically and spiritually consumed by something. And so these fears made St. Christopher like a hugely popular saint back then. And he still is today. So he's a favorite saint of like athletes, pilots, um, ship captains, truckers. (laughs) So have you seen the movie Crash? 
I don't know. <laughs> I okay. have no idea if I've seen it. Okay, it's like the one that's in LA where it's like all these different stories of like racism are all intertwined. Um, it's a good movie. I mean, it's kind of dated now, but anyway, um, one of the the cop in the in that movie has a Saint Christopher statue on his dashboard. So then why did he get demoted? Why was his feast day removed from the liturgical calendar? Well, the short answer is like, don't worry, he's still a saint. He's still a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, and he was never demoted or anything in the Eastern Church, where he has an even bigger following. Basically, in that 1969 revision of the calendar, the council, quote, examined the calendar and removed those saints whose historical base was more grounded on tradition than provable fact. So that's why. But he's still technically a saint, so it's really not that big a deal. So, yeah, that's St. Christopher, the dog-headed, potentially cannibal, nearly unkillable, third-century martyr. He's so cute. He's like a golden retriever. Like, the whole story. He's just so innocent and happy to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just chilling with the devil and anybody who hates him and prostitutes. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. No, he has no clue. He's He'd be content to stick his head out of a car window. 100%. <laughs> yes. Out of a car window. That's so funny. Oh, my God. I want, like, a comic of... Like me driving a car and St. Christopher with a golden retriever head, like sticking his head out the window. We could probably make this happen. That would make me very, very happy. I don't know. Maybe it's because he was so doggish that it like hurt my feelings so much when he started getting tortured. Like people, you see them die in movies and stuff and you're just like, ah, you know, people died, but like an animal dies in a movie and you're like, how fucking dare this movie <laughs> kill an animal? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how I feel about him, that I, I want to protect him at all costs, but unfortunately I cannot, so. I think I think he did okay. I think he's fine. <laughs> I think he's he's chilling with the right people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, most like Roman Catholic, uh, depictions of him, he doesn't have a dog head, whereas like some Eastern depictions and like Byzantine ones, he does, which is very interesting. And I think part of that controversy where the Catholic church was like, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna elevate this, this weird story that we don't understand. (laughs) They're not like Sarah, where it was really long ago, and they can hand wave and they enjoy that. No, yeah, no, I enjoy it incredibly. You enjoy it, them not so much. No, I guess not, which is a bummer because it's super interesting. And like, I had no idea about the dog head thing. I just knew him as like, oh, Saint Christopher. He he's the protector of travelers. Like whenever I'm going too fast on the highway and I almost rear end somebody, I'm like, Saint Christopher! <laughs> and like, the, that's all I know him as. <laughs> that's all I've ever known him as. So it is super weird to see like, you know, like the iconography where it's like mm-hmm. painting of just like the saint's head and like one special artifact that they are associated with, but it's like a dog head. <laughs> what? That doesn't seem right. Anyway, it's cool though. 
Yeah. I feel like he needs worked into my, my prayers. So do it perhaps. Yes. But I'm also really excited because especially when you started talking about like the bronze, like bench and everything, Mm -hmm. as I get to the end of my story, we are going to be like, so inverted, like almost completely at the ends of our stories. I'm excited. It's going to be really cool. Yes. I can't wait. So, werewolf serial killers. Yay! I promised it. I'm delivering. Uh, It is something I never knew existed or expected to come across in my witch research or that I ever thought I would talk about in my entire life. Like, if you asked me as a kid, like, where I was going to be in, like, 20 years, it was not talking about werewolf serial killers to people I've never met who live in, like, Italy. So, (laughs) yeah. um, Hey, what's up, Italy? We love you. Hi, everybody. We love new listeners. Yeah, we do. Honestly, had I not stumbled across this subject in my regular research, I never would have found it. Because if you search werewolf serial killer, you'll just find a Russian serial killer named the werewolf, who's not actually a werewolf, which Hmm. is disappointing. But I think he was active up until like 2010. Holy fuck. I know. I always think of serial killers as being like back in the 70s and stuff. Like there's they like they're not a current thing that still happens. Like they Mm. died out. They went extinct. Yeah. Um. No, people but, still really do be out there doing it. <laughs> I wish it was on the news more often. I would like to go to bed terrified. Uh, always. Always. Why do I want this for myself? I have enough anxiety. <laughs> um, anyway, my story today has everything. Brutal torture, <gasps> serial killings, <gasps> incest, <gasps> baby murder, <gasps> brains, <gasps> decapitation, and digressions uh. about the Catholic Church. Perfect. I can't wait. I know. It is fantastic. So I'm going to be in Germany at the tail end of the 1500s discussing the bloody, horrible, graphic crimes of the werewolf of Bedburg. Mm. But first, like all of my stories, I'm going to bore you with scholarly background (laughs) information. (laughs) That's how we do it here. (laughs) I'm an English teacher and I have a bachelor's degree in literature. And that means that one, it's your problem. Mm. Two, I'm a nerd. Yeah. Um, we knew one thing I'm a nerd for is etymology. Yes. Like it's fascinating. You will never be able to convince me. It is not fascinating. Fight me. I Um, don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm terrifying or because of COVID like, no, because I agree with you. And also you're kind of scary, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five foot two, so that says a lot. I, I project an image of don't fuck with me. So no one ever finds out that I can't throw a punch. <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna start with etymology today. Sweet. Let's learn about werewolves. The term werewolf, as we know it, is specifically derived from werewolf. W-E-R-W-U-L-F, which is the Old English compound of were, W-E-R, meaning male, and wolf, meaning wolf. Quick fun fact, 
where fell out of usage in language and was replaced over time with man, M-A-N-N, meaning human being. But wife, W-I-F, or female, stayed in usage, becoming Hmm. wifemen or women, W-I-M-A-N-N, over time, meaning female human being. And then Hmm. wife, W-I-F, developed into its new meaning of wife, W-I-F-E. So the word man, when you read it in a sentence, or man, when you read it as part of woman, not as sexist as I thought. Right. Wow. Interesting. But that also means in werewolf, they're specifically talking about male werewolves. Right. So I, in my very, very brief, like research into like what a werewolf actually is, um, I read this thing about like where women and it's like, well, that's not, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't mean a female werewolf. That would mean a, a man woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so. think that word means what you think it means. No, it does not. <laughs> yes. No. Where means male. Mm-hmm. Anyway, lycanthropy, etymologically, it comes from the Greek leukos, or wolf, combined with anthropos, meaning man, mm. making the Greek leukanthropos, which became the Latin lycanthropia, which became the modern lycanthropy. Okay. There's a lot of other interesting related etymology that develops in Old English, Old Norse, and Scandinavia, etc. There's too many, too many things to mention. Mm. Um, there's how the etymology develops in German, how it develops in Slavic languages into a word meaning both werewolf and vampire at the same time, and even how you get Lugaru in French. We could be mm. here literally all day and I would joy and enjoy every moment of it. So the concept of the werewolf is everywhere and it doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. There is no one origin of the werewolf, really, that all beliefs descend from. There's no one mythology that got bastardized down the line. There's no one cultural significance. Werewolves aren't even evil in some cultures. Wolves aren't evil in some cultures. It's literally different everywhere. And I fucking love that. Sorry to interrupt, but I love that because that means that it is something that all humans think about. Like, it's not specific to one mythology and one culture. It is, like, a deep human, like, primal fear. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, obsession, if not a fear. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a second. I'm I'm really glad that you you honed into that. Okay, cool. Immediately. I'm smart like that. Yeah, it means that my research and what I'm going to say isn't total bullshit, and I'm not talking out of my ass. Um, (laughs) Or I'm just, like, helping you bullshit, which is, like, if I can't be the bullshitter, I like to encourage others to bullshit. Yes, I I always tell people that my degree in English is just an advanced degree in bullshitting, so. (laughs) so true. (laughs) So, in in some places, gods were responsible for transforming people into wolves. Think of Zeus and Lycaon here. In some places, it's witches who either curse people to transform or it's witches themselves who possess the ability 
to transform. In other places, it's the devil who bestows the power. Mm -hmm. In others, it's a bite or a special ointment that gets gifted to you or a magic object like a belt that gives you the power or it's a revered state you can achieve. All of this is only the tip of the iceberg of the ideas out there, and I'm glossing over the nuances of what I am mentioning. Werewolves are an old-ass idea evidenced in its wide etymology, but I mean, you also see werewolves in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like the oldest piece of Western literature out there. So Mm -hmm. it has been around for a while. I ran into one thought on werewolves I thought was interesting, which is pretty much what you were just talking about. Um, It said that the idea of people transforming into animals is an idea that naturally develops in a culture. Um, And one reason that they argue this is because not every place has werewolves, but they have the same shapeshifter concept. Mm. You see werewolves in areas where people have wolves as predators, but in places like South America, you see the were-jaguar. In India, the were-tiger. In Africa, the were-hyena. So it's the predator native to your area hunting you, you fear, and you develop beliefs based around and you project shape-shifting beliefs onto. I have weird chills. I don't know why. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this old-ass concept of people just turning into the things around you that terrify you, that are killing your livestock, that are killing your people. And it's just the thing you see. Yeah. Cool. So... I leave that to all of you as food for thought. And on to the Catholic Church. (laughs) Somehow, somehow we always end up here, Sarah. Why do we always end up here? It's not my fault. (laughs) So I think it should be obvious that werewolves, the idea of being able to transform from man to beast because of gods or respected rituals or curses or magic, it's all very supernatural. And we know how Christians feel about the supernatural. Mm. i.e. anything that implies god is an almighty scary not in charge of yeah scary bad thing (laughs) we don't like it (laughs) um you can figure out where this is going uh boils down to we don't like it snuff it out yeah so whenever i searched werewolves pretty much where i saw christians start to like go after werewolves, uh, develop thoughts about werewolves, start to puzzle out where what werewolves were was the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. So in the Middle Ages, Christians embark on this very long journey as they did with witchcraft, uh, where they try to explain away werewolves and how they work to the public to discredit the idea of them and or get people to stop believing in them. So they can't be real because only God has that mighty of a power to transform things Mm -hmm. or human souls can't transmute to animal ones because they aren't made of the same stuff. Like it's impossible for a human soul made by God to become an animal soul. Right. Like rational versus not rational. Mm -hmm. Or even, I think it was like soft and hard, like one of them is hard and one of them is soft. Which one's which? That is, I think the human soul might be the hard one, don't quote me, but it it can't turn into the other one. Right. Either way, they're, yeah, they're not made of the same substance and they can't turn into each other. Like, it's almost like alchemical in that way. Mm -hmm. Cool. So that was cool to read. 
Um, you've got Christians out there who say that it's got to be illusions. And we've talked about illusions before and things like the Malleus Maleficarum and stuff like that. Um, because, on, again, only God has that kind of power. So anything that imitates that on earth is that. It's an imitation. It's not mm-hmm. real. Okay. Uh, some people say that perhaps these people are leaving their bodies behind and maybe it's like their spirit is going off and doing this werewolf thing. We don't know, but maybe that's how it works. <laughs> okay. The, the Christian writers for the most part are just like throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks mm-hmm. and they're taking other Christian writers and then expanding on their theories and, Pretty much just anything that proves God is almighty and the werewolves are like evil tricks. Right. Okay. Um, There's also this whole genre of medieval stories where people are being turned into wolves or trapped in wolf forms. And some of these stories, the Christians try to logic out how they can be real, but also not be against what they believe of God's power. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get a lot of Christian writers uh, taking those stories and like dissecting them and how they work. Um, but those stories mostly involve people keeping their human minds and being trapped in an animal form, generally until they get revenge or somebody breaks the curse. So think like uh, Beauty and the Beast here. Yeah. That, that kind of a story where something bad happens to somebody and they get cursed to be an animal and they have to do something to be able to be themselves again. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. They're, they're not all that bad, but the people who curse and transform the people in the stories are depicted very evilly. Mm-hmm. One supposed reason I ran across the, the church focuses on and decides to start cracking down on werewolfery, I think is what some places call werewolfery. It's such well, a funny werewolfery. word. <laughs> Why is that a term? I like it. Werewolfery denazification what are the other fun (laughs) words we've come across i don't remember off the top of my head those are two good ones Mm -hmm. those are some good ones yeah um it cracked down on it and perhaps one of the reasons why werewolves start to get an eviler reputation as we go along is because pagans vikings more specifically are known for the I'm going to try and say this correctly. I've phoneticized it for myself. It's old English. Okay. They are known for the Ulfjaden, okay, which is a frenzy warrior who dresses in a wolf's pelt. Ulfjaden meaning wolf's coat. Um, these warriors are said to be so aggressive and invincible and fearless. It's like they aren't human. And it's related to the berserker, which etymologically comes from bear shirt or someone oh. who wears a bear pelt. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. They're they're like uh, brother terms, essentially. Okay. So these Viking warriors may or may not have originated some of the werewolf lore. Some scholars say that they started it, um, but they definitely contributed to the lore. Because, I mean, you got these, these pagans out there who've got animal skins on and they go into these weird battle trances and they just fucking slaughter people. Yeah. So we all know pagans are bad. So you know, <laughs> everybody knows that. Them. Yeah. Yeah. It's Duh. like a given, like they're <laughs> terrible. Mm-hmm. Be gone. It does not spark joy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Actually, the thought of a Viking warrior in a wolf costume, not costume, but like wolf cloak destroying people actually does spark a lot of joy for me. (laughs) (laughs) It does me too. Back then are like, "Hmm, don't like this. Not good. Mm -hmm. Um, The Catholic Church also goes after werewolves because wolves in general are just feared in this time period. So they're dangerous predators. They kill a lot of livestock. They're hard to hunt down and kill. And I think I read somewhere that even if you do do kill one, like their meat is like inedible. Like they're not good to eat. Mm-hmm. They carry rabies. So they're and have you ever seen a wolf like next to a person? Those they're things are fucking massive. Huge. Yeah. And like I feel like that's not something that modern day people are like used to because now we have like like dogs that are like that we've like gotten down to like an acceptable size for us i know i always thought that they were the size of like a husky or something yeah no and then i saw them next to a person i'm like that's not a dog yeah Um, that that's closer to like a bear like what is that it's crazy so i mean they've got these things just fucking roaming around um mm-hmm. they've got like walls to keep them out i guess and like don't go out in the fields at night um yep so a 12th century christian writer don't ask me for his name i didn't <laughs> write it down <laughs> <laughs> he compared wolves stalking sheep to the devil stalking a pastor's flock mm. so there's a direct connection between the devil and wolves there yeah um wolves fucking awful for a lot of reasons and they just can't have that so as we begin to leave the middle ages hitting the 1400s and then the 1500s we start seeing prosecutions and executions for being a werewolf of course it's tied to paganism um mm-hmm. but by this time werewolves like witchcraft become almost overwhelmingly connected to the devil okay surprise yeah um i feel like that's like the only card in the catholic deck like <laughs> i swear to god i'll take werewolves for 500 alex like what's the de- what's a, <laughs> what is it like what is an obvious like servant of satan i mm. mean jesus christ everything has got to be the devil they don't yeah. like it it's the devil yeah unfortunately <laughs> back then definitely still now but definitely back, back then. then definitely i mean they didn't understand a whole lot of anything about the world um yeah and the world was just terrifying place i mean i would be terrified if i didn't know what was happening on the other side of the world let alone in like two towns over or um, even in your own body like you have a true you have the flu or something and you just think you're possessed <laughs> and Satan wants my soul. <laughs> Satan wants my lungs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're just constantly terrified of everything, and everything is the devil's fault. So mm-hmm. yeah, werewolves beyond the devil also become associated with witchcraft, cannibalism, and serial killers. Which sounds odd until you consider that humans are gaining the ability to magically turn into wolves who are eating lots of their fellow people. So okay. it all makes sense. It all, all connects. 
It all connects. <laughs> werewolf witch trials become a thing. I mean, that's a legit term. Werewolf witch trials. Hmm. You can Google it. To my utter surprise, it's a thing. Was it? No fucking way. Um, <laughs> werewolves get inextricably tied to witches in a lot of cases because they both involve the devil. They both involve magic. They both involve shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you tell them apart? There's no way. <laughs> Same thing, same thing, same thing. Oh, um, the Valais witch trials, which began in Valais in 1428. They're trials that I have on my list as a potential episode. They are listed as having a werewolf executions. Pierre Dulanc, who is responsible for the Labor trial that influenced the start of the Basque trials. Vaguely mentioned him way back when I had that episode. He is connected to writings on lycanthropy. Lycanthropy is mentioned in The Wonderful Discovery of Witchcraft by Reginald Scott. He's the guy who agrees with Johann Weir, Wire, Weir, whatever. The internet doesn't agree. Um, Johann is the one who said witchcraft is a mental illness. Reginald Scott says lycanthropy is a mental illness. Okay. So he's like, it's, it's not real you guys like you can't kill people for being a werewolf because like they're all just screwed up in the head and you should probably just send them away Mm. i don't know which is better (laughs) (laughs) like or like or like it's a real wolf and you should like deal with that instead of worrying about like the farmer (laughs) somehow that never crosses their mind like ever like we don't have a wolf problem obviously this is werewolves it's like I feel like you jumped a couple like logical steps in your thinking but okay oh boy um there are so many werewolf witch trials I could legitimately talk about them for hours I don't have extensive information on most of them they're short stories but there are enough short stories to fill like six episodes. Like wow. I swear to God. During my preliminary research, I clicked on its Wikipedia article expecting like three story leads, but it was so long. And then other articles were like top 10 werewolf witch trials. And it's like top 10? Top 10. Like how many are there? What? Holy moly. Also, surprisingly, I didn't write this down. It's just a random digression. Um, I have so many digressions. It should be my middle name at this point. (laughs) Um, I was surprised that a lot of these werewolf trials are men. Like, almost predominantly, it's just men. Um, So, I don't know if it was, like, easier to convict men or, like, you related, like, the savagery with men more than you did with women. I have no idea. But I thought that, you know... It had witch trials in it. Surely I was just going to find a bunch of women. But yeah, it's a lot of men. That's really interesting. And also interesting when like combined with what you were saying at the beginning with the etymology of like it is specifically referring to men. So maybe it's just that it's been like passed down as that like understanding that it's this is only like a men thing. I Mm -hmm. don't know. That's weird. There, there are some female werewolves, but I mean, it seems like predominantly it is men, and mm-hmm. in the stories, it tends to be to be men. Um, but yeah, these these trials. Well, um, should probably 
start to get you know into the story that I'm actually going to tell today. Uh, I decided to start out telling arguably the most famous story about a werewolf trial, which is about the werewolf of Fedberg. He's a brutal serial killer named Peter Stubb or Stump or Stumpf, depending on the source. I like Stumpf. <laughs> it's Stumpf. Stumpf. I like it too. It's fun. Apparently all those names mean stump in German because his left hand's been chopped off at some point in his life. I don't know why. Work accident, maybe. But the Germans, um, it just, like, I don't know what his actual name is. He wasn't born with, like, a missing hand. So what's up with all the insulting nicknames? Like, you've got the toilet cleaning Poppenheimers, (laughs) and now, (laughs) what, like, Peter Stumpy Arm? (laughs) (laughs) They're rude is what they are. They they just keep putting people down in history in like the most insulting way possible. The the Germans will look at you and you are called the worst thing about yourself. Like Can you imagine being called like stumpy. I would be called <laughs> I would be called like Sarah Paleface or something. Like Sarah sickly skin. Like because I'm that pale. Like that's what they would call me. Me, it would either be probably something about my weight or the fact I never leave my house. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking yours would be something about all your tattoos because that's like the first like noticeable thing about you, I think. So it would be like coloring book skin or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just coloring book skin. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I realize now that it's bad. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh. Or scribble skin. Scribble skin is better. <laughs> Scrib. <laughs> I'm never gonna look at myself the same. I like it. I think it's catchy. <laughs> scribble skin. <laughs> oh god okay so peter is the most famous werewolf trial because there is a 16 page pamphlet a primary source on him that still exists it was published in london in 1590 and only two copies of the original are left in the world both kept in museums the pamphlet is a translation of a dutch print that no longer exists however Mm -hmm. um the pamphlet, uh, the this translation of it, the English translation of it, um, is all about him and was circulated to generate fear. And it's like very obvious Christian propaganda. Um, I did have access to the pamphlet and scanned through it, but it's harder to read because of the old fancy font that's also in bold and it's like Middle English. Mm-hmm. So... Even if you do decipher what it's saying, Middle English still just, like, sets my dyslexia off, like, so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just wrote whatever. They just put letters together. They just, like, and even reading this pamphlet, they don't even spell Peter's name the same, like, every (laughs) time that it comes up. It's like, you really just, like, went for it. Just, like, an extra E here, an extra L there. We don't know what we're doing. Just sound it out. (laughs) <laughs> Sound it out, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, middle English. 
So instead of forcing myself to parse through the entire pamphlet, I did read a transcript of the pamphlet. Okay. Made my life a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. The pamphlet begins with the author on a soapbox telling you the following tale is the tale of a man who has strayed from God. Mm. He said he is publishing the story, quote, for example's sake, and quote, those whom the Lord doth leave to follow the imagination of their own hearts, despising his proffered grace, in the end, through the hardness of heart and contempt of his fatherly mercy, they enter the right path to perdition and destruction of body and soul forever. Wow, intense. That's how it starts. Yeah. Um, I s- Do Christians live in, like, constant fear for people's souls? Like, Um, is that a thing? Some Christians do. And some mind their own fucking business. (laughs) I went to school with this girl who, if she found out you were an atheist, either by asking you or because she heard through other people, she would break into your locker and put a Bible in it. And then Ew. write you a note about how you could come talk to her. Oh, my God. About being a Christian. Oh, Lord. How old was she? We were in high school. Wow. Yeah. I. It's too much. I would guess that um, her parents were similar kinds of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much. Um, Yeah, those are the worst kinds of Christians. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I love some of you guys, but some of the ones that I went to church with for like 13 years, like I had two takeaways from church as a kid. One, Jesus was a voyeur. Like, not not up for discussion. <laughs> He's watching you, Liz. <laughs> All the He's... time. I was terrified he could see through my skull right into my brain. He can. All my thoughts. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid to do anything. Yeah. To think any thought. Yeah. And then, um, too, my second takeaway was just that the devil was Swiper the Fox, but he wanted my soul. So <laughs> That's also true. Um, yeah, my favorite quote about like evangelization or whatever the fuck is by St. Francis of Assisi. And he just said, preach the gospel at all times, but only when necessary use words. So basically shut the fuck up. No one wants to hear about God. They should be able to like know about him by like how good of a person you are. And I think that's the way to do it. But yeah. I don't know. Some people, some people uh, don't like that quote. I guess. Yeah, I've run into a lot of people, Christians, later in my life that I wish I had known earlier in my life, <laughs> because I probably wouldn't have like fully the church mm-hmm. as like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, I believe in God. I believe in the angels and everything but you know being around people like that for 13 years eh, it's more you want to escape them than you want to escape the religion yeah I definitely wanted to escape some of them too um yeah definitely I think it's the worst thing about 
like modern Christianity. Well, apparently middle-aged Christianity too. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, now that we've um, talked about that, mm-hmm. like I said, digression is my middle name. And yep. who knows how much of it is true because it really is set out like a, I'm making an example here. Like, don't be like this man who, you know, strayed from God, lost his soul. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like Christians write stories about bad pagans or when men write stories about evil women. It's like, is it true or are you just being a dick? Like, right. Which one is it? Yeah. Um, the pamphlet does not mention when Peter was born. And we also have no records of his birth because church registers were destroyed in the 30 years war. Oh, no. But we can guess it's probably around the mid-1500s or maybe a little bit earlier. Okay. Um, he lives in a place I can't say correctly. <laughs> I just, I, I can't, German. I can't. So here is a list of stuff that I'm going to say wrong. And I'm a, okay? You ready? Okay, I'm ready. He lives in the village of Epreth. Sure. Near... Bedburg, which I've committed to, and I don't know if it's right, um, in the electorate of, looks like Cologne, but that's definitely not how it's said, and I'm not going to attempt it. Google okay. it if it bothers you. Um, <laughs> I, It's got a lot of letters, Sarah, and they pronounce none of them. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your word so long if you're not going to say it? Anyway. This is part of the Holy Roman Empire at this time and is current day Western Germany. Like it's like as far west in Germany, like as you can possibly get. It's right up against the border pretty much. Okay. Peter is a wealthy farmer in his village. And in the 1580s, he's noted as being a widower with two children. He has a teenage girl named Beale or Belle. I'm not sure how to say it because it's B-E-E-L-L. I don't know if that's Middle English throwing some extra letters in there or if it's German coming up with a weird name. That's her name. All right. Um, And he has a boy and we don't know much about the boy. We don't know his name. Don't know his age. That's really all the pre-murder information we have on Peter. The pamphlet and other minor sources really only cover his criminal activities. The overwhelming question is, how does Peter become a werewolf? Mm-hmm. I hinted at it earlier when I was rambling about how werewolves work. In the case of Peter, um, the pamphlet talks about how he was into magic like his whole life from like the age of 12 or whatever. But eventually he runs into the devil and he meets the devil. Okay. I don't know. At one point in his life, I think he might have been in his 20s. Okay. Quote, The devil, who saw him a fit instrument to perform mischief as a wicked fiend, pleased with the desire of wrong and destruction, gave unto him a girdle which, being put around him, he was straight transformed into the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like unto brands of fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. Wow. Fancy. Yeah. So it's a belt for Peter gifted to him by the devil. That's why mm-hmm. he can be a werewolf. He can take it on and off at his own will. It's not like he puts it on and he loses his mind and he can't ever take it off again. He literally just on and off whenever he wants. Okay. 
We also get a pretty in-depth description of what his form looks like. He is terrifying. <laughs> and later he is mentioned to be faster than the like fastest greyhound. And he's also really light-footed. Okay. So he is a terrifying predator. He's a quick boy. He's a quick boy. <laughs> quick scary boy. Big teeth. <laughs> quick scary boy. I love that. And that is on his adoption page, and no one <laughs> will ever adopt him. <laughs> quick scary boy. Big teeth. <laughs> Peter, when he wears this belt, discovers that he has this bestial bloodlust and he satisfies it. Mm-hmm. He kills. He goes on sprees. He enjoys it. And it gets to the point that when he takes off the belt and he's no longer in beast form, he still feels this desire to kill. Paraphrasing, the pamphlet says that at one point, he can't feel pleasure in his day anymore without killing. Oh, no. So he moves from attacking victims of opportunity that he sees like out in the field and everything in beast form to actively targeting people he sees in the village during his day. And attacking them later as a wolf. <clears throat> so as he's walking through town and smiling at friends and stuff and going about his work day, he's picking people out and then tracking them down later. Yikes. Quote, if any person displeased him, he would thirst for revenge. And no sooner should they or any of theirs walk abroad in the fields or about the city but in the shape of a wolf, he would presently encounter them and never rest till he had plucked out their throats and tore their joints asunder. He becomes a career killer after this, the pamphlet notes, thus continuing his devilish and damnable deeds within the compass of a few years, he had murdered 13 young children and two goodly young women big with child, tearing the children out of their wounds in most bloody and savage sort, and after, ate their hearts, panting hot and raw. Whoa. It's so graphic. Yeah, I love it. Like, I'm never going to not be amazed when an old text has so much detail, but also when it isn't, like, watered down and, like, really polite. Yeah. It's, like, the same reason I love, like, raunchy jokes in old literature, like Chaucer and stuff like that. Because, I mean, it just reminds you these people were exactly like us. Yeah. You can mistake. Exactly. You can mistake lines in this pamphlet for lines in, like, modern crime fiction. Yeah. I mean, panting hot and raw. Yeah. Jesus. Totally. So, yeah. Like, he's killed a bunch of children and he tore the babies out of two pregnant women and ate them. Yeah. Peter doesn't restrict his damnable deeds to murder. Apparently, he starts looking at his 15-year-old daughter. Oh, no. And then it's more than looking. Mm. The pamphlet says, He had at that time living a fair young damsel to his daughter, after whom he lusted most unnaturally and cruelly committed most wicked incest with her. He is said to use his daughter, quote, daily, and is also said to have a child with her. Oh, no. Oh, man. That is not enough for Peter. Mm -hmm. Quote, an insatiate and filthy beast given over to work evil, 
With greediness, he also lay by his own sister, frequenting her company long time. Oh, no. Yeah, so, like, if you can think of a crime, like, this dude has probably, like, committed it. Like, he kills people, he murders babies, he eats people, he sleeps with his daughter, he sleeps with his sister. Yeah, he's a nasty bastard. He's just terrible. Yeah. He also takes up a girlfriend in the village who's described as a gossip. I don't know why. I don't know if that's bad. I don't know if him having a girlfriend is bad other than the fact that it's like evidence of the fact he has like never ending lust. Right. Yeah. So Peter is killing strings of people, eating them, sleeping with his relatives. But the tale does not end there. (gasps) Did you think his son was unimportant because his son has no name or age? You told me his son was unimportant. <laughs> okay, what happens? Uh, he, I'm scared. He fools you into thinking that he's unimportant because everything is like, yeah, we don't know anything about his son and like, don't think about his son and like, he, he sleeps with his daughter and like, it's kind of like the pay no mind to the wizard behind the curtain kind mm. of thing. It's just don't look over here. Yeah. So... Peter might be looking at his female relatives with lust, but he looks at his male relative, his son, with bloodlust. Okay. I was afraid you were going to say also with lust. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. <laughs> uh. <laughs> there's, there's no weird sodomizing or anything in this story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry for that. I apologize. <laughs> I have standards, Sarah. Okay. Um, Unable to control this bloodlust, he, quote, enticed his son into the fields and from thence into a forest where, making excuse to stay about the necessity. Why did I suddenly forget how to say that word? Necessaries? Why? Is that that word? Necessaries? It's not a word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say it, though, because it's what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Making excuse to stay about the necessities of nature while the young man went forward, incontinent in the shape and likeness of a wolf, he encountered his own son and there most cruelly slew him, which done, he presently ate the brains out of his head. Gross. This pamphlet, it's surprising. Again and again, every paragraph I hit, like, the brains out of his head. Jesus Christ. Yep. Slurped him right out. Spaghetti. (laughs) Forbidden spaghetti. Forbidden spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that could be the title. (laughs) Oh, I wish the story went in there, but it just keeps going. Um, Okay. And going and going and going. Peter is set at one point to follow a party of two men and a woman one day and lure them one by one to him. He uses the first man's cries of distress to lure the second man closer. After he kills each man, the woman gets a bad feeling and flees instead of investigating like the second man had done. Um, Peter, quote, deflowers her and then kills her. So now he's a rapist. Um, But this feels like true crime. Unlike the two men, her body was never found. Oh, Lord. I know. It just feels like reading true crime. It does, yeah. 
It really does. Mm-hmm. If you like subtract the werewolf out of this, it very much just feels like reading true crime. Yeah. So Peter continues his bloody career for 25 years, killing countless victims, killing livestock. Apparently, limbs of dead men, women, and children scatter the fields some days. Wow. People live in constant fear, but all things must come to an end. One day, Peter goes out to attack a little girl, but it goes wrong, and he can't get a hold of her, and she screams, and people come running. Mm. So Peter flees the scene. A group of men and dogs then go on a search into the woods for this beast. The pamphlet says the hunters see Peter transform back into a man in the woods as he takes off the girdle. Mm -hmm. And they're amazed at what they've just seen, but they're also very confused about what they've just seen. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Um, So they capture him and they take him to his house and they have him examined by like the magistrates. And after all of this, they have him arrested. Mm -hmm. Um. One damning piece of evidence he is the wolf they are looking for is apparently that this killer wolf is missing a paw. And it's in the same way that Peter is missing a hand. So people are like, no, there's a connection there. He's got to be the wolf. It's old Stumpy. It's old Stumpy. (laughs) So they take Peter to Bedburg. In Bedburg, fearing torture, he confesses to 25 years worth of crimes and how he had a magic girdle given to him by the devil that allows him to transform into a wolf. He says he threw it into a valley when they were on to him. I'm not sure when he had the opportunity to do that at all. Like, I don't know if they took him back to his house and like before the magistrates could examine him or something like he slipped out or something. He says he threw it into a valley. Hmm. Um, but the magistrates never find the girdle. They have mm-hmm. the entire valley like combed for it. The writer of the pamphlet pretty much suggests the devil came back and took the girdle with him mm-hmm. and left Peter to suffer the consequences of his actions because the devil is a dick who doesn't care about you and won't save your ass. Right. Yeah. Makes no sense. matter the fact that they can't find this girdle, they pronounce Peter guilty of all his crimes being an associate of the devil, being a werewolf, murder, cannibalism, incest, you name it. Um, So, unfortunately, this made me really mad. They decide his daughter, who he had been raping, and the woman in town he'd been sleeping with, are also guilty as accessories to his crimes. What? How? (sighs) They must have, like, known what he was doing and, like, kept it hidden or whatever but like nothing's a legit trial without throwing some women on the pyre like jesus christ it's true oh i'm so mad um the pamphlet says the three of their judgments were pronounced the 28th of october 1589 and in good old brutal german fashion on the 31st of october halloween halloween peter i know it's so creepy halloween Mm -hmm. Peter first has his body, quote, laid on a wheel and with burning and with red hot burning pincers in 10 several places has the flesh pulled off from the bones. After that, his legs and arms are broken with a wooden axe or hatchet. 
Afterward, he has his head struck from his body, then has his carcass burned to ashes. Yikes. Carcass strikes me as like a particularly harsh word choice. Like, I hope no one calls me a carcass after I'm dead. Like, throw her carcass back into the van. It's definitely like a, it's an animal word. Like, an animal has a carcass. A human has like a corpse or a skeleton. But yeah, wow. Yeah, he's a, a carcass. And they refer to him as a carcass more than once. Yeah. So... Peter's daughter and the girlfriend are then burned quick to ashes the same time and day with a carcass of the aforesaid stub Peter. After Peter's death, they take the wheel he was broken on and mount it on a pole in Bedburg along with the likeness of a wolf framed in wood. And on top of the pole, the sorcerer's head was set up. I've read in some accounts to essentially imagine a wooden wolf with Peter's severed head fixed on top to make him the beast in death he was in life. And this is the image that like struck me in your story because not until that moment had I considered that, I mean, he's got like a human body and a wolf's head and he's just this, you know, this kind person. Mm. And in my story, it ends with him having a wolf's likeness body made and his human head speared on top of it to memorialize him as an animal. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting because it is like, okay, the head is, the head is like reason. But, like, the body is, I don't even know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But it's very cool that it's the opposite. Yeah, they're opposite people and their bodies are completely inverted, too. What they do and what they are is completely inverted. Yeah. Weird. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, like, posted up in town and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's just a really cool image. Of the two of them. And Mm -hmm. I would really like to sit down and figure out like how that makes sense and why it makes sense. Yeah. Probably the the article, the part that I didn't read, talks like all about it. (laughs) The one part I maybe we'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) The writer ends the pamphlet. This gentle reader have I set down the true discourse of this wicked man, Stub Peter which I desire to be a warning to all sorcerers and witches, which unlawfully follow their own devilish imagination to the utter ruin and destruction of their souls eternally. Um, I have, I think, two illustrations. I have at least one illustration, but I think I found another one of Peter being tortured and beheaded. And I'll put them on Instagram because Mm -hmm. apparently that's what our Instagram is. It's just a lot of bloody torture instruments and depictions of people like getting their heads chopped off yeah that's pretty much it at what point do we get like reported to the community like how far can we go i think it's time to test it out all right so i ran across the theory in my research that especially in cases like this werewolves may have been an explanation or a rationalization for serial killers in the past before serial killers was a coined term or an Mm -hmm. understood thing. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they didn't understand how something like this could happen other than by supernatural means. 
and the brutal nature of a lot of serial crimes lends itself to being seen as something animal and not being seen as something a human in human form or the human mind could commit. Right. So it's interesting to think about. Does it mean, you know, you don't really think about like serial killers back in the day. I mean, if they're prevalent now, I mean, what did they look like back then when they didn't have like DNA evidence and cameras on every street corner? Yeah, I bet a a lot of the legends that we see were actually just like very sick people. And that's why it's so fascinating to me is like, I don't know, the I, with true crime, like nowadays, because I obviously ingest a lot of like true crime, all kinds Same. of stuff. Like I watched six episodes of Cold Case Files last night. <laughs> um, it's like the most, one of the most commonly used phrases for like murderers and ser- especially serial killers, like really brutal murderers is like, oh, he's inhuman. They're inhuman. It's like, well, no, actually they are 100% human. And that is the scary part about it. And you saying they're so evil that they're not even human That's you trying to distance yourself because no, actually you are the exact same as that person. It's just like a little Mm -hmm. tweak, little tiny tweak somewhere in their head. And we don't even know what that is. Like (laughs) it could be anybody with like a traumatic brain injury. It's, and that's the scary part. Anyway, sorry. I could talk about that all day. I could talk about serial killers all day. I mean, yeah. I was, I've been watching Criminal Minds again for the ninth time mm-hmm. through because that's all I do. And <laughs> I had an episode where this guy was um, keeping a bunch of women hostage and torturing them. And I just had stopped and had the thought, I'm like, like, why are there people in the world who just enjoy hurting other people? Because the, it's not like one person, like they exist. Yep. Um, so how does something yeah. like that happen? And you know that it had to happen in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting that it may have developed or, you know, culminated in werewolf legends and stories in vampire legends and stories. Yeah, totally. That's crazy. It's so cool. And I think we accidentally kind of did have a very unifying theme I don't know of just like humans versus animals and what that has meant to people like throughout history and how people like come to terms with like humans who act like animals or like I don't know it's very cool yeah in my entire werewolf research I kept running across um identity like that was a term that just kept coming up is like werewolves are so tied to like the concept and of identity and problems with identity and like um, pondering what does it mean? Yeah. And with St. Christopher, it's like when he, when he learns how to speak, he becomes a new person he he gets a new name he's no longer like the false one the rejected one he's now the bearer of christ and because that was something that he 
chose for himself. He, it wasn't like forced upon him or anything. It's cool. In the same way that like your guy, Peter, he, um, it wasn't like the devil made him put on that thing. Like he wanted to. And he chose to do it. Yeah. That's the identity he chose for himself. So it's the identity that people made sure he had in his death. Yep. Wow. It's cool. Anyway, now that we've, we've (laughs) talked about that for a while, um, you know, expect to hear more about werewolf serial killers in the future. There are so many, um, there are a couple French ones with cool stories that I could probably combine into a cool episode. Nice. Uh, that is the story of the devilish and damnable werewolf of Bedburg, Peter Stumpf. Um, but innocent man, actual werewolf or career cannibalistic serial killer weigh in everybody. I am interested to hear your thoughts. What was he? Yeah. I don't know what I think. I <laughs> Just generally. I have no in idea. Life. <laughs> Every day I have no clue what I think, but no about, clue. about him especially. Yeah. Like I'm not sure he was actually a werewolf. And I think maybe some aspects of his story were exaggerated because like I said, it does seem like Christian propaganda that like yeah. he's a rapist and he's done incest and he kills babies and he does this. Right. But and some people say that because these killings were happening across like 25 years that they really did just have a wolf problem. That they were trying to say that sounds like there's a very serious wolf problem (laughs) they should have been more concerned about. I also think it's interesting that I mean, some serial killers do have extremely long careers, and it would be interesting if he had disguised it as like wolf attacks if he'd been smart to do that. Totally, yeah. I mean, the Golden State Killer, who's finally like going to trial and stuff now he his career was decades and he was called different things throughout the course of it Mm -hmm. the east area rapist um just because they couldn't they literally couldn't comprehend at the time how one person could be doing all these different things yeah some of them have such long careers Mm mm-hmm it's so strange how they space it out. Like, I think BTK was also pretty spaced out. Yeah. But yeah, actual serial killer? I don't know. I want to I'd believe. Like to I would like to I believe, want to believe in too. all of it, you know? Just every bit of it. Yep. He is, he is everything. <laughs> He's everything to me. <laughs> He's absolutely everything. <laughs> He's the light of my I life. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed this episode. We had like two wolf boys and they're so drastically different. One good wolf boy. One, what did we say? Scary, bad, big teeth boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I want their pictures like side by side. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we did werewolves. What are we going to do next time? Fucking mermaids. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. You know how to get a hold of us. Gmail, Instagram, Twitter. You get it. Look at the episode description. You can do it. We believe in you. And as always, thanks be to God. Blessed be.